You're with Jeff on the morning program. Last week with Dr. Norman, we took a call from a woman whose husband clearly suffers from a sleep disorder, waking in the middle of the night, screaming, unsure why the night is filled with such terrors. Well, today, in the absence of the good doctor, we want to concentrate on sleep and pose some important questions. Can you have a civil society and a sleep-deprived society? Today's sleep specialist David Hillman is here to argue no and to suggest that maybe there's a bit of radical rethinking required. David, hello to you. Uh, hi, Jeff. I like the fact that we're going to take this, although we do want people to call us with their sleep issues, um, take this beyond my husband's snoring problem and into the realm of whether, as a society, people sleep well enough. Yeah, I think sleep's, uh, there's a bit of a problem, really. Um, the requirement for sleep's, of course, in conflict with a whole lot of other priorities, uh, including uh, work, social life, family life, um, and it, there is some pretty good evidence that uh, sleep loses that battle. For instance, uh, in South Australia, they did a very careful survey in the mid-80s of adolescent sleep patterns. Uh, they repeated that survey uh, several years ago and found that, on average, South Australian adolescents are sp uh, sleeping half an hour less per night than they were 20 years before. Mm. Now, that's not a benign situation. You do need your sleep, and if you're short of sleep, then a whole lot of things uh, happen to brain function which aren't good. Uh, cognition, that's thinking capacities aren't, uh, aren't up to, quite up to the mark. Reaction times aren't up, up to the mark. And the other thing that isn't up to the mark is uh, emotional mod modulation. Yeah. And here we are talking about late night Northbridge and always talk about the discussion in terms of um, alcohol uh, and, and violence related to alcohol. We're not getting enough sleep, are we? I think that's right. I, you know, I think there is a case for uh, shutting the pubs earlier on the basis of alcohol alone. But, but the other advantage of getting people home at a reasonable hour is allowing them to have enough sleep. What happens if you don't get enough sleep, among other things, is that the frontal lobe, that part of your brain which modulates your emotions and, and makes your reactions to certain circumstances appropriate, stops you from, from uh, irritable and overreacting to situations, its function's impaired. And, and, of course, you mix that with alcohol, you've got a very volatile mix. And I, I, My wife and I go to Northbridge quite often, but we're out of there by 11pm. Never a problem, I don't think. And yet it's, it's, we all acknowledge how important it is or its absence from our life being a very important thing. When you talk about teenagers not getting enough sleep, if we really were going to manage this properly, we'd send our teenagers to school not at 8 o'clock in the morning. We'd be sending them at 10 or 11, wouldn't we? I think that's... A Excellent point. Teenagers have, have what's called a, uh, typically a delayed sleep phase syndrome. They stay up uh, late and given the chance they'll sleep in late. What we do as a community is we, we allow them to stay up late and we cut in with this sort of these, not only does the school classroom open at eight, but often the sport at seven. Yes. And so these kids are sleep deprived. And you know, sleep deprivation, another big uh, thing that they're missing out on is memory consolidation. So it actually affects their learning. It, Dr. David Hillman is our guest this morning and we'd love to hear from you. If you've got questions about your sleep disorders, it might be the sleep walking, the snoring, the sheer exhaustion that comes from poor rest. one three hundred triple two seven twenty. We'd love to take your calls. You can send text questions as well, one double nine double two seven twenty. We sent our reporter Jess Perriam out and about this morning with the simple question, Did you sleep well last night?
So are you getting much sleep at the moment? No, none at all. Very little. I've got three boys and they all wake me up during the night. Plus I've got a cafe to run, so you know, it's very minimal. Try to go to bed early, but then you know, in bed by 8.30. By about 9.30, one boy wakes up, then it's broken sleep. And then the other boy wakes up at 1.30 and then I've got to come to the cafe at 5 in the morning. How much sleep? Probably between 6, 5 and 6 hours a night. At the moment, unfortunately, I can't really get to sleep without the TV or something being on, which is not very healthy. But, yeah, I, I can't seem to be able to sleep if, uh, if it's silent. Or... About 7 hours? I don't know. I just go to sleep. Sometimes I listen to audio books. I'm always tired, though. That's the thing. No, I have more trouble staying awake. In fact, I, I just I get home from work and I just need to crash out almost. Probably about seven, seven and a half. I don't know. There's a lead an active lifetime during the day, I suppose. And don't take your worries to bed. Usually six, seven hours, I think. And what do you find is the best way to get to sleep? No alcohol, no coffee. A uh, good four, three or four hours before, I reckon. If I have a if I have a coffee, then I'm stuffed. Uh, try and get about eight hours, generally. I have to be quite good and try and force myself to go to bed sometimes. Uh, my wife's pretty good. She always goes to bed fairly early, so um, I tend to be more of a night house. So if I can go to bed at the same time as she goes to bed, I normally get eight hours sleep. How do you find it on the other side, getting up in the morning? I always find it tough getting up in the morning, but you just force yourself to do it. Very easy. Jump in, shut the eyes, and within seconds, wouldn't know what was happening to me. I'm asleep. The next morning again. So long as I'm not out picking up teenagers from Northbridge or something in the middle of the night, yes, I do get to sleep right through. Very typical stories, David, and and it strikes me as an indicator that we're prepared to forego it. Yeah, and and to some extent the human brain can carry over a sleep debt, but not uh, indefinitely. For how long, yeah? Well, you know, I mean, you carry a sleep debt board and the brain is not functioning as well as it ought to be. uh, so accident rates go up, uh, uh, you know, the, ma- even making coffees in the coffee lounge. We heard that story. I yes. mean, uh, uh, I can imagine a bit of hot milk uh, going in the wrong directions there, for instance. So people in, in, in uh, unsafe workplaces are vulnerable. one three hundred triple two seven twenty. Lee, good morning to you. Yes, good morning. Um, I am in a situation where uh, I'm quite a heavy sleeper. My, my wife is quite a light sleeper. And I find sometimes that I have quite vivid are often very unpleasant, uh, to say the least, dreams. And that causes me to toss and turn a lot and sometimes sit up and talk and swear and carry on. And I'm just wondering, is there anything I can do to firstly stop having horrific dreams because I don't really like them? And secondly, is there anything I can do to stop the tossing and turning all night so that my wife can get a good night's sleep? Yeah, it, uh, you know, there's a variety of causes for this. I mean, sometimes it can just be as simple as uh, uh, indifferent sleep hygiene, not keeping, not having regular hours of sleep and quite enough sleep. Uh, and so that would be the first thing to be done there. But there is this condition called REM sleep behaviour disorder, which is, is out on one extreme of these weird and wacky dreams where, where dreams can be quite violent and uh, be acted out and... and uh, so I don't know that you're quite in that territory, but that, that sort of problem can be suppressed with med- medications, uh, quite light medications. But the first thing to attend to is, is sort of sleep hygiene issues, that is getting enough sleep, getting it regular and having very regular sleep habits. Yeah, well, I do have that because my wife, she's a teacher and she's a 10-hour-plus kind of woman, so she loves to get lots of sleep. So, um, you know, our sleep patterns are quite regular and I get sort of eight, at least eight nights, eight hours Sleep at night, usually nine, sometimes more, depending, you know, what time we get to bed. So it's quite regular. So is it, is it just a case of going to see my GP? Yeah, I think so. I think it sounds like, you know, you're ticking the right boxes there, which is, is good. And, 
and those sorts of symptoms do require a little bit more thought. Uh, we, we do deal with them in our sleep clinic uh, quite regularly, and so um, I agree with you. I think off to the GP and have a bit of a chat there. Lee, good luck to you. Hello, Reg. Hello. We'll call this the $64 million question. Oh, yes. Yes, well, I've heard from various sources. We all know the benefits of a good night's sleep. We all know the discomfort of insufficient sleep. What I would like to know, three questions. How to get to sleep quickly and easily, how to stay asleep, and how to get back to sleep after an interruption. Okay, Reg, they're good questions too. They are good questions. Of course, they're very general questions, and there are a million different reasons for for poor quality sleep. Insomnia, that condition which is characterised by difficulty getting off to sleep in the first place and difficulty re-achieving sleep in the second, is very common, uh, up to... 20% 20% of the community. We've all suffered it from time to time, but 20% yeah. of the community regularly. A, a relatively small proportion of that uh, of that group uh, is known as a primary insomnia, in other words, doesn't have another cause. I mean, other causes for insomnia are, for instance, bodily aches and pains and mm. those sorts of things, and you obviously tackle those underlying causes. Where it's a primary insomnia, then there are, uh, there are a number of different patterns to that. It depends on the particular pattern you have as to what one does about it. For instance, we had a lady when I was on this program a year or so ago who had uh, great difficulty getting off to sleep till the wee small hours. Now, it turns out that she had a condition called restless leg syndrome. Yes. And that required, and she was iron deficient. So yeah. we, uh, she came along and saw me after having a bit of a chat like we're having now. We, we treated her iron deficiency and her problem's gone away. So insomnia can have, can have a life of its own, in which case you need some techniques to deal with it, yeah. uh, but, but the, often there is a, there's an underlying cause which needs to be identified and treated. We'll get to uh, lots of people want to talk, and that, which, which is great, but um, let's look at some sort of basic practical things. Um, should you try and go to bed at the same time each night? I think some human brains are more robust to chaotic sleep patterns than others, but a lot of us just push the chaos button too hard yep. and, the, and, and the brain ends up spending the day half awake the night, uh, 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 half asleep in the night, half awake. And so I think regular sleep pattern, uh, regular sleep habits are part of the deal, usually built around a regular wake up time. So just deciding what time in the morning you want to be up and about for convenience, um, setting the alarm, getting up at that time and then being very regular about that wake up time. Once that's done, uh, so there isn't this napping during the daytime yeah. and prolonged sleeping in, then the brain starts to reg- regularise its own going to sleep time. Yeah, television in the bedroom, bad idea, isn't bad it? Bad idea, I think. Distractions from the uh, uh, sleep are a bad idea. You really have to train your brain to associate the bedroom with sleep. So you yes. have to build up these associations. You have yeah. to treat the the bedroom is the bedroom. That, that that is its purpose. Not a don't don't be sitting on your bed doing your your homework for two hours and then trying and then try and get to sleep. Yeah, and, and likewise, a lot of people will take their worries to bed with them. It's good actually for people like that that lie there thinking about the next day yeah. to actually set aside a, a time in the evening to actually plan out the next day, review the day, plan out the next day, put the day to rest, and, and then go to bed. Then go to bed. So you do your worrying outside the bedroom. Not go, much. You, not much you can do about these things at 2 a.m. in the morning. No, unfortunately. And that, and yeah, but, that, but we know that too, but it doesn't seem to help us get off to sleep. Hello, Gail. Oh, hello. How are you? Uh, good, thank you, Gail. That's good. I, I don't have a problem sleeping at all. But what, 
what I was wondering about was we're just talk, linking in the violence of the kids in Northbridge and the drinking and the sleep. Um, is the way, like I've got 18 and 19 year olds now in the house and all their friends, they drink those high energy drinks with their vodka. Yeah, yeah. Full of caffeine, and they are like full on psychos by, you know, the end of the night. And I'm just wondering if, you know, that's got a lot to do with it. Like when we used to nightclub, we just drank boring old, you know, scotch and dry and beer or something like that. They had these really high packed energy drinks all the time, all night. Yeah, I think. And when when you look at the cans, they say one per day. These kids are drinking five and six, seven a night. I think you've hit on something quite interesting there, Gail. Yeah, no, Gail, uh, you're right in my area there. Uh, I mean, this is uh, the caffeine, of course, is to treat the uh, the sleep deprivation, sleepiness side of things. Caffeine's an interesting and effective chemical. What happens when your brain is reactive is it's burning energy and it and it produces a chemical called adenosine. And adenosine is actually uh, stimulates inhibitory pathways in the brain. What caffeine does is compete for those pathways, so it knocks adenosine out. So you, you keep, it doesn't solve the problem, but it compensates for it. These kids are sh- terribly short on sleep. We've got we've got it wrong for our uh, teenagers. Uh, uh, I think we've we've got to, they've really got to learn learn to respect sleep. Um, hmm. And I think that. Uh, these sorts of encouragements we give them as a community, um, that is nightclubs uh, shutting at 3am, that sort of thing, is, is not good. And the problem is it's not just their own behaviour that's affected, the, the, their behaviour affects the rest of us. Yeah, this from the, the text. For some reason I've taken to poking my partner while asleep. Uh, I'm taking amitriptyline. Uh-huh. Uh, any ideas, writes correspondent. And would would again, if you what is amitriptyline? Uh, amitriptyline is an antidepressant, which actually uh, is quite useful for some sleep-related problems. Uh, it knocks out it knocks out the dreaming sleep a little bit, but I don't think it's going to do much about the poking the partner in the ribs. It's really a matter of uh, trying to identify why that's occurring, <laughs> and the, there may be there may be a sleep disorder there that that just is keeping sleep lighter than it ought to be. It may, in fact, be uh, you know that we have this uh, this uh, condition called restless legs. It's actually yeah. a misnomer. It's restless everything, restless limbs. Yeah. So it may be that that's the problem. Uh, worth having uh, if, if if this is gone beyond the irritating to the annoying it's worth looking into i think yeah lots of people uh, contact us about restless legs it's mm. it's amazing how many people I- experience that um just a couple of things um i have a five this is from meg i've got a five-year-old who wakes five times a night i've tried everything i'm exhausted she's exhausted help what can we do ah well um kids uh, and little kids and yeah, sleep yeah I, uh a difficult one. Again, regular sleep habits are important, but you know, you just the five and six-year-olds. Oh, oh, you know, I've got my biases, of course, and I'm always on the lookout for sleep apnea. And sleep apnea is quite common in that age group. In fact, human beings—that's the age ages at which your upper airway, your throat, is at its narrowest relative to the rest of the size of your body. So big tonsils and adenoids. So if she snores a bit, I'd be looking for that. Let's, uh, and we could probably spend a long time talking about sleep apnea, so let's take a call from Bill. Hi, Bill. Hello, uh, Jeff. How are you? Good, thanks, Bill. What's your question? Well, it's not a question. I've wanted um, Dr. Hillman, who I've been attending, uh, to explain um, obstructive sleep apnea and what it actually does to a person 
because um, Dr. Hillman would probably recognize my accent and uh, uh, my voice, uh, I should say, because um, I've actually had uh, surgery uh, on a new uh, thing that's going around, and if you could explain that as well. How are you, Dr. Hillman? Yeah, no, look, uh, uh, I, I'm married to a Scot, of course, so <laughs> I, I warm to those sorts of accents. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, sleep apnea is a very common condition uh, affecting about around about 3 to 4% of adults to a clinically significant degree and small children as well. And what it involves is some narrowing of the throat in the first place. And when you go to sleep, the, th- the muscles of the throat relax and the throat gets narrower still and that sets it up for two things. When you suck air through it, first of all, it will tend to vibrate and the second thing is it will tend to obstruct. And if you have lots of those obstructions overnight and people with significant sleep apnea do, yes. then the sleep's very disrupted and uh, tiredness and lethargy follow during the daytime. So that's sleep apnea in a nutshell. Do we understand it better and the treatments for sleep apnea? Well, I think, uh, and as Bill's alluding to, you know, we have a range of very effective treatments for it. Uh, uh, Principal amongst them is a thing called nasal continuous positive airway pressure, which provides a cushion of air uh, under pressure in the throat, stops it collapsing. Very effective, highly acceptable to people with severe sleep apnea, much less acceptable to those with the milder forms of it. And so, yes. so surgery and other, there are other strategies, and surgery is very good where there's big tonsils and adenoids. The problem is that most adults don't have them. Yeah. Um, Laura says, why do I feel okay if I have five or six hours sleep, but awful if I sleep longer? Yeah, look, it, it depends a little bit on, on what phase of sleep you wake up for, from. And this is very typical of naps too, Laura. Uh, afternoon naps, yeah, a power nap of 10 yeah. minutes is refreshing. If you have a nap of a, uh, 45 minutes, you often wake up feeling worse than when you went to sleep. That's a phenomenon of sleep inertia and appears to relate to waking up from one of the phases of sleep we go through, which is slow wave sleep. And uh, of course, it passes with time and in time you feel more refreshed than before. Yes. But on initially waking up from, from uh, uh, that phase of sleep, it's inconvenient. Now, interestingly enough, uh, most overnight sleep, that, that slow-wave sleep is packed towards the first half of the night. So you don't, ha- don't have much in the second part of the night. You don't tend to wake from it. In fact, often we have a long burst of rapid eye movement sleep. You're dreaming sleep towards the end of the uh, night. And, and I've certainly experienced, and perhaps you out there do too, but you can, if you wake up from there, you often wake up recalling a dream. Should we... Um should we look to have more power naps? Every probably every afternoon, I have a, I go and close my eyes for a while, and exactly that. At 45 minutes, I wish I could stay for three hours, but I feel groggy. Yeah. Uh, if I have 20 minutes, I wake up, and I know it's not quite enough, but I do feel quite refreshed. Yeah, I think power naps are a, are a good rescue strategy. They're not a substitute for a decent, for a decent night's, night's sleep. sleep. But, you know, in occupations like yours, Jeff, you know, with early uh, uh, awakenings and those sorts of things, the the pressure's on during the week and you catch up during the weekend. A power nap can certainly be a good substitute. A power nap's a good thing out on the road. If if you're getting home and you're feeling very tired, stop, quick nap, and then just get yourself home safely. And that's another issue, too, when we talk about uh, road crashes. We do not measure... We, measure, we can measure alcohol content in someone's blood, but we can never measure how tired they are, can we? No. Uh, I mean, people are never more alert than the moment they, that follows the crash. But, but of course, about uh, 25% of all motor vehicle crashes are either fatigue or sleepiness-related. Uh, I think that might be an undercount because where speeding is seen to be a factor 
or alcohol seen and uh, measured to be a factor, then the, 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 the accidents attributed to them, never mind the, the sleepiness. If you actually look at the pattern of, sleep, of, uh, of accidents over the 24-hour clock, it follows the pattern of sleep propensity very, very accurately, even down to a small peak in accidents after lunch, uh, uh, corrected for the number of vehicles on the road, which goes with our post-lunchtime period of sleepiness. Do you want to buy into the uh, into the daylight saving equals more road accident debate? Oh, I'd love to buy into that, actually. I, I think uh, my I do have a, a, a small problem with daylight saving. I think that the problem is that... Um, Bringing the clocks forward in the evening does invite us to go to sleep Start an longer. hour later uh, uh, because our brains are really regulated by light and dark uh, primarily. So we go to s sleep an hour later but still have to get up by the clock to get to work the next morning. So I think that uh, sleep does get a bit short-changed short over the daylight uh, saving period. Ian, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Hi. Uh, 81 years of age, 10 weeks in Charlie Gardner's hospital with an ulcer on the leg, being woken up three or four times a night, followed by two months uh, with a kidney out, and pain from the ulcer when I try and sleep at night. And that now, the ulcer is now repaired, but I'm still not sleeping well of a night. I keep waking up. Yeah, it's, it's, it is interesting and, and, and lights in the whole problem, I think, Bill, that is that um, you have a, a, a nice regular sleep pattern, a disruption comes in, a temporary disruption, pain and, and, and the other things associated with your ulcer, and then those temporary, uh, that temporary situation disappears and you're left with the, this effect on your sleep. And it really is a matter of, of re-regulating it um, with you know, careful sleep hygiene measures in the first instance. And if they're not getting you there, then, then some techniques to kind of get your sleep back into, into normal whack, I think. And thank you. Hi, David. Good morning. Single bed v double bed, David. Yeah, that's my frivolous question. It'll never change. Uh, but I did hear some interesting news that um, perhaps if you sleep alone, you sleep better. Uh, can I give my second question? Yeah. If I sleep and have ABC News Radio on, do I wake up knowing what's happened in the world? Uh, you're a smart man, David. Uh, I don't. Uh, that's an interesting question. Whether whether you can. Whether you can uh, uh, oh, please say yes, because yeah, yeah, I listen yeah. to the World Service every oh, night yes, and I drop you, off. You, you can't. You can't. Uh, well, in fact, the the problem, of course, is disrupting the sleep itself. But uh, whether I don't know that there's any much evidence that that subliminal. Uh, messages overnight uh, penetrate the brain. The brain is certainly very active doing intellectual things overnight. Though what it's principally doing is is consolidating memory and forming associations. So it's actually what it's trying to do is to deal with all the chaff that it's uh, yes. been fed into it the previous day. A little bit like a jumble sale, if you like. During the daytime, all this activity in the shop. Overnight, there's a bit of tidying up to be done. Otherwise, it's going to be a complete mess the next day. So it was, is with the brain at night. And so one of the problems about this sleep disruption, particularly for adolescents and small children, is that their learning is adversely affected by sleep disruption and even possibly their intellectual development. David, we're going to have to get you in more often. So many people want to speak to you. Just very quickly, what's the electric shock feeling when just dropping off? They're kind of feeling like you're falling off a cliff, you know, that suddenness. Yeah, yeah that's, that's known as a hypnic jerk, very, a very common, normal sort of phenomenon. You're a hypnic jerk. 
Robbo, <laughs> and, I, and I won't do you any harm. Uh, and just very fi- uh, finally, yawning is the warning, don't drive tired. Is yawning a good warning, yes or I no? Think yawning, yes, and, uh, uh, and just feeling sleepy. Stop, have that power nap. David Hillman, it's a delight to have you in the studio. We'd love to get you back uh, because uh, so many of us care about the subject. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Jeff.